Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. the gates and ready to go hot mic with Hutton and Withrow is underway on this Monday edition we're glad you're with us as we broadcast across the Outkick network it includes YouTube you head over there search out Outkick Chad well maybe he's joining you in the chat but he's not joining me in studio today it's sixth and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine uh, he is uh, on a he's on a trip with the Withrow men the annual excursion, which uh, is always really cool. We'll bring back some stories later in the week. Uh, we've got a jam-packed show coming up uh, over the next three hours, uh, live until 6 p.m. Eastern. Uh, Dan Mullen, former head coach at Mississippi State in Florida, he joins us in 20 minutes. A lot of reaction coming up from the college football weekend. Oklahoma over Texas. Mario Cristobal and deciding to run the ball instead of knee Take a knee and, and run the clock out. Georgia Tech pulls the upset and much, much more. Bobby Carpenter will also win in later, later this hour on all things college football. Dan Dockich, host of Don't At Me here on Outkick. I joined him this morning. He joins us this afternoon. And Bernard Pollard, one of the uh, hard-hitting safeties in his career uh, across uh, a handful of teams, but you know him from Kansas City, Baltimore, and Tennessee. Uh, he hops in in hour number three. A, a lot to discuss. You can join us in the chat and join us on social as we hit the top headlines from the weekend. And it starts with the the destruction of the New England Patriots. 34-0, the New Orleans Saints winning in New England, in Foxborough, to send the Patriots to 1-4. and four. This was not, to me, going into this year, the end of an era perception-wise. I'm buying into it now. The Patriots were even worse in Week 5 than they were in Week 4, and they have been boat raced 72-3. 72-3 in consecutive weeks. Losing to Dallas and playing that defense is one thing with Mac Jones at quarterback and having no weapons on offense, losing some players on the New England defense, and just being inept and not able to turn to any talent on a consistent basis. But after losing to New Orleans, the Saints, who fighting for an opportunity to win the NFC South, well, here's New England staring down what could be a top three, top four pick in the NFL draft. But Bill Belichick is discussing, well, now we start over. He's known for all of these quick one-liners. On to Cincinnati, and he didn't reference that yesterday postgame. Said they were awful, admitted that, and said what they were going to do, start over. And I'm thinking to myself, well, who's starting over with the rebuild for a Patriots roster that is far from competitive? The New England talent on that roster is as bad as some of the worst teams you could face in the AFC. Since Tom Brady bolted to Tampa Bay, Bill Belichick is 26-30. and 30. Hasn't won a playoff game, which, oh, by the way, Robert Kraft referenced and has harped on this offseason – and he doesn't have any answers right now. His team is the worst in the league in point differential. They're minus 76. 
And they've got Mac Jones, who they've benched for the second consecutive week, and he's the only quarterback they kept from camp originally. Um, what happens from here? When do we hear from Robert Kraft? Because the silence there is, well, it's starting to become loud to me because he put out the, the mantra of, it's time to get back to the playoffs. It's time to go win a playoff game. We haven't done that since Brady left. And they started strong last year. Won close games. Not pretty, but winning close games. They had the opportunity to go after Dalvin Cook. Could have signed DeAndre Hopkins. Hopkins admitted he gave the Titans offer and sent it out there to others to match. It was Tennessee and New England. They were in on him. Patriots didn't bring him in. And now they sit and stare at a one-win record going into week six. And this is a New England team that has scored as many points this season as opponents have scored off of New England turnovers. It's awful. Mac Jones isn't the answer, but it's not just a, a Mac Jones problem. This is a talentless problem. They have no touchdowns in their last 34 possessions. Not good. Starting over, it's more than just starting over now. Uh, they don't have a lot of luck on their side to pull together a win streak like we've seen in the past from a Bill Belichick coach team. Judon is sidelined until at least December. They have a, a group of talented players that haven't lived up to the billing. They've spent some money at wide receiver. It's not there. And so far for the AFC East, well, they're not competitive there either, even with the Jets, despite beating the Jets. The Patriots had just 156 yards of offense against the Saints, three turnovers yesterday. And this is a New England team that just averaged barely over three yards per play. But again, it's not just on Mac Jones. This starts up top with Bill Belichick, bringing in the coaches he did a year ago, now having to turn over to Bill O'Brien. And maybe after the season, we see what could be the breakup. I think more and more about the fact that we're headed that way because the Patriots haven't had back-to-back -back weeks like this since 1996. And that is not great for the GOAT and not great for Mac Jones because the Patriots could be in line at the end of the year based on the way this ball club looks for blue chip talent in the draft because they don't have blue chip talent across their roster. Davey Hudson joins us in studio. Davey, are you buying the fact that Belichick is leaving New England? I don't think he's retiring. Maybe he takes a year off. But I'm not buying the fact that he's out of football. I do think he's out of New England as Robert Kraft tries to move on. This dynasty is officially dead. Some people probably put the nail in the coffin a couple of years ago after Brady moved on. But we've seen that, for whatever reason, there are a multitude of things not working for this team. I don't anticipate them getting a win until November. You look at their next three opponents, they go on the road to Las Vegas. Now, if you remember last year, that was a crazy game at the end where they're tied and the Patriots decide to start lateraling, lateraling the ball yeah, and it gets right. returned for a touchdown. They lose. Very, you're right. That, that's very unlike a Belichick team. And then you follow that up with you go on the road or you're at home against Buffalo, who looks like the class of the AFC East. And then you get to go down to Miami. So both those teams playing at a lot higher level than what we've seen the Patriots so far this year. So, I, I mean, one in seven, 
one and seven. If there's no changes at that point, like Bilicek's not going to get fired during the season, no, no. And, and he shouldn't be given no. the history there. While and this won't be messy. This will be behind the scenes. Uh, but the fact that you have former players now, like Devin McCourty, who are on Football Night in America, and when they when he's asked, "Hey, what does what does Bill mean by starting?" and he just throws his hands up, like, I, "Who the hell knows?" Because that's how bad this team has been. Multiple analysts are saying that, yeah, this is going to be bad. Jason Garrett is sitting there just nodding his head. It's it's really, really bad. And I think the relationship between Belichick and Kraft has been trending this way over the last 12 to 16 months. We had Tom Curran on a month or so ago. And I went down that path with him because I, it's just a different vibe with the Patriots team we've seen, the Patriot way. It doesn't really resonate as the true and tried method to victory. And a lot of that is Brady. I get it. Um, you know that They've lost more games since he's left than is the, the amount of games while he was the starter in New England. It's tough to replace him. It should not be tough to replace the culture that's there. And that doesn't leave with one player. It, it, it has dissipated, and I think Kraft is tired of it. I mean, it's one thing to not be a playoff team year in and year out, but to just become a bottom dweller like yeah. they are trending towards, it just it doesn't make sense given Belichick's pedigree and what they had been able to build in New England. I, I thought, you know, bringing in Bill O'Brien would help out Mac Jones. If anything, he looks worse. Now there's other problems on that offense and just him, but he's not a franchise quarterback, and he's proven that to us this year. You mentioned the defense scoring points of the 72 to 3 that they've been outscored the last two weeks. I mean, I'm watching 21 of those 72 just be by Mac Jones turning the ball over and handing it to the defense. It's just, it's bad all around, and there's nothing that they have or can do at the moment to make it any, no. any better. I mean, ba Bailey Zappi, he was a fan favorite. It seemed like a coach's favorite a year ago. That was the rumor with Belichick, right? But then they cut him, meaning they were cool with the fact, they at least were resigned to the fact that he could be claimed when they cut him in camp, and he wasn't. They get him back from the practice squad originally, but do they make a change? I think they just roll with it again. We'll see. But it's nothing's going to happen because they don't have the talent necessary uh, to, to string together what, what seems to be like what's going on in Pittsburgh, for instance. Scratch Dallas from the top of the, uh, the class when it comes to the, uh, the, the NFL because San Francisco shows you who the top of the, uh, the, the class is, top shelf, the heavyweight 49ers. There are some other teams that are around their level, but San Francisco totally outcoached the Cowboys last night on Sunday Night Football. They were uh, outscored, destroyed. And Sunday night to me is the example of why I shake my head at any criticism of Brock Purdy or the critics of Brock Purdy being a good quarterback in the NFL. Uh, he is good in this offense. It's more than this offense, though, that makes him good. Mechanics, he's always seen and, and finding the, the direction to go with the football. He knows where to go. He's accurate. Rhythm with the offense. He's a baller. It, it, it's hard to find where the critics continue to doubt him. If it were easy to just step in as a quarterback with Shanahan, and granted, he's done great work, I would present to you Trey Lance. If it's so easy to play quarterback in the 49ers offense, Trey Lance would still be the 49ers quarterback. 
Brock Purdy hasn't lost a regular season game. He's 10-0 in his career. He hasn't thrown an interception this season. And he's the quarterback of the best team in the NFL, hands down. And that includes the Philadelphia Eagles, who are the only unbeaten team remaining other than San Francisco. Both are 5-0. and The Eagles are finding ways to win when not playing their best. San Francisco has picked up where they left off and then some because they have a MVP caliber player in Christian McCaffrey and they have one of the true young budding stars in the NFL in Brock Purdy and they have so many ways to beat you and I haven't even got to the defense yet. Uh, you're looking at it. I, I mean, we just transitioned off of New England. I, I mean, this is the new dynasty in the NFL, if you want to make that comparison. An elite defense, you've got a quarterback that no one thought would be able to do anything, where it's like, we have this guy in place, and in Drew Bledsoe, we're going back to the patch, he had yeah. Drew Bledsoe, he gets knocked out, he has to come in. Same thing, Jimmy Garoppolo gets knocked out, he's the guy you think that's going to be able to keep that franchise going, be that quarterback for the at least the, the intermediate future, and then he's done, and then... Brock Purdy comes in out of nowhere, and he is winning every single time. He looks comfortable. This team is just operating and firing on all cylinders, and it looks like the dynasty is already set in place. And you, you always talk about having a quarterback on a rookie deal. I mean, it doesn't get any cheaper for paying a quarterback than what the 49ers are having to do for Brock Purdy yeah, right now. Yeah, they're him, uh, paying him roughly $800,000 because of the seventh-round pick and, and Mr. Irrelevant. That's where he was slotted, and that's the, the benefit of – Hitting on that player, which is not going to happen that often. Uh, this is a, a, a generational type story because you've got Brady and now you've got Purdy and he's got a long way to go to be Brady. He's got a long way to go to lead this team to a dynasty discussion. I, I, I see what you're setting up there, but the second contract is where he's going to get paid and that's where they have to make some decisions. But in the meantime, can they string together a Super Bowl victory? They are that caliber. Everyone knows that, but we continue to point to the quarterback position as when, when, when is the clock going to strike midnight? I'm not anticipating that anymore. A lot of people are. The, uh, as for Dallas, we'll get to them later. I'm, same old story. This is par for the course with Dak Prescott. The Colts beat the Titans 23-16 yesterday, and Zach Moss paired with Gardner Minshew and Jonathan Taylor is back under a, an extended contract, $42 million, uh, $24 million, I believe, $26 million guaranteed in this contract. He's back in the mix now. Uh, the initial diagnosis for uh, uh, Anthony Richardson, AC joint sprain, that's his throwing shoulder. Uh, MRI is happening today. X-rays yesterday were negative. But when Minshew has played, because, I mean, Richardson has been hurt quite a bit during games, running backs have at least 30 touches in those games. That's going to continue, and the strength only rises based on the fact that they get Jonathan Taylor back. And Moss, props to him, man. He, he ran all over the Titans' defense. The Titans' defense, Davey, had allowed just 280 yards total through their first four games. Yesterday, 165 by Zach Moss, and paired with Taylor, they ran for 183. He stole the show. He had a 56-yard touchdown, but he also got the yards when it mattered. And it's extra impressive based on the Titans' run defense. That run defense, they were manhandled up front. And Indianapolis can find a way because they can run the football. And aside from you know, Jacksonville, who seems to be coming along, Indy is 3-2 and two 
And that's saying something considering where we thought they'd be for a quarterback that was supposed to be coming along. The best quarterback right now is Minshew because while Richardson has all of the talent, all of the intangibles, Minshew is the experienced quarterback for a young team and a run-based franchise. He can make the throws, and he did against the, the Titans yesterday. The Titans head to 2-3. and three. They also will face a, uh, a the Baltimore Ravens team coming off a loss headed to London. They've already made that trip. The Titans leave on Thursday. It's a big game in the AFC a week from now because it was a big loss for Tennessee and a massive win for Indy in the division. It It's coaching malpractice for you to lose to Zach Moss and a backup quarterback. I don't care who that backup is. And the Titans have a lot of questions they need to answer, but credit to Shane Steichen for getting his team ready and just absolutely dominating the Titans from the beginning of the game to the end. Nathaniel Hackett's nightmare becomes a, a dream. That's something we dive into coming up with Dan Dockich. But when we come back, Dan Mullen, the college football weekend delivered. More craziness in the rankings, and we get Mullen's take. He weighs in next. The Hot Mike with Under Withrow across the Outkick Network. If you followed me throughout the years, you know I'm a South Dakota girl at heart who grew up in a ranching family. And I know that America First isn't just a political movement. It's a kitchen table issue, literally. You know, I always support American family-owned companies, ranchers, and farmers who put high-quality meat products on the tables of their fellow Americans. And my friends at Omaha Steaks are the experts. With Father's Day right around the corner, what better gift to give Dad than the experience of world-class Omaha Steaks? This package includes a mouth-watering assortment of Dad's grilling favorites like Omaha Steaks Butcher's Cut Top Sirloins, Juicy Boneless Pork Chops, Deli-Style Gourmet Jumbo Franks, and their legendary Omaha Steaks Burgers. Go to omahasteaks.com and use promo code OUTKICK at checkout. Get mouth-watering gift packages starting at just $99. And as a bonus, use promo code OUTKICK to get $10 off your order. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Eha Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Glad you're with us for Hot My with Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network. Chad's back with us on Wednesday. And uh, coming up uh, in 20 minutes, we've got Bobby Carpenter to weigh in with all of the uh, big college football reaction and uh, takes. We do that right now with uh, former head coach in the SEC, Dan Mullen. You can catch him now as a, a solid, solid analyst uh, with ABC and ESPN. Coach, great to have you back on, man. Hope things are well. Yeah, always good to be with you guys. Yeah, man, same here. Um, how would you stack the college football playoff right now? What four teams would be in? Well, it's interesting. I mean, I, because there's there's so much to be played yeah. right now. I mean, you have to go with Michigan. Yeah. Uh, I would go with Michigan. I would go with Georgia. I'd go with Oklahoma. And, you know, I at this point, you would go with Florida State. That'll probably change after this weekend with whoever wins the Washington-Oregon game. You know, and I mean, I it, the hardest one, I guess there's one team that you boot, you just look at who has, has good wins, you know, and, and it's hard. Florida State and Oklahoma, I guess, have, have two good wins. So you want to go with those two teams for, in for sure and then figure it out from there. It has been a crazy season, man. I, I've, uh, what do you attribute this to? Is this just strictly the portal, NIL and the portal? 
Uh, I, I think there it's just it's a lot of things. I think there's part with NIL. I think the portal actually has some things to do with it, with the transfer portal of of evening things out for people. I think conference realignment is going to have a lot to do with it moving forward. I, I, I do. I think, uh, you know, but this is going to be a season. I really think at the end of the year, this is going to be a season for the I think it'll be the first time as well or the first time of one of few that all four playoff teams will be conference champions. Yeah, that's it is trending that way. The conference championship games are going to carry a lot more weight. Uh, I, I am curious, though, if you have a two-win conference champion in the uh, – or two-loss, excuse me, two-loss conference champion in the SEC or the Big Ten, what happens with that? I if think you they're have, out. Yeah, okay. I mean, that would be I, amazing this year. I, I, I think when you look at how things are going right now, right, I mean, you you got to say Oklahoma-Texas. They, They'll meet again. Oklahoma, to me, is playing with house money. You know they they can they they can afford even maybe a loss along the way if they beat Texas twice. The winner of that game, that's in. I have an interesting one for you in the ACC. Florida State doesn't play North Carolina. Neither of them play Louisville. All of them are undefeated right now, <laughs> and you know so you what you could have three undefeated teams in the ACC. Well, if you have two ACC teams that are undefeated playing for a conference championship. That's the big 12 champ and the ACC champ are already locked in. That's two of the spots done. I, you have a hard time thinking anybody from the big 10. Oh, my, my dog just got home. Oh, nice. <laughs> Who it, it, was, give a shout out. Who's, uh, what, what's his or her name? Her name's Zuzu. Nice. So she, she just got a haircut looking good today, but uh, no, I think I do think the big 10 and then we get to the big 10. I think the Big Ten East champion is going to roll through the West. So that's three spots taken. Now you're down to the SEC champ or the Pac-12 champ. And the Pac-12 or, champ or could who? be well, – they could beat up on each other based on what we're seeing. You know, I think you want the big freak out. You could have a two-loss SEC West team. Yep. Roll in and beat Georgia in the SEC championship game. They're all out. And you have Saban, who was who was uh, going with the political angle, trying to you know uh, politicize the fact of two wins last year, all on the final play, wanted in. He'd be the conference champion in the scenario here. At least I think we're headed towards a Bama. Here we are, all of a sudden on October 9th, and I, we're headed to Atlanta for the the title game. And it seems like it's Georgia and Bama after all the talk about whether or not Bama was sliding back. They've they've rebounded well, and I mean, yeah, I give credit to Milrow over the last two weeks with that. Yeah, but I wouldn't count out LSU with that. I really wouldn't. And, you know, they have one loss. They still get to play A&M in Texas. Uh, I think Old Miss will, will slip up one more time. So that'll put them ahead of them. And, you know, I, they're good. Oh, and when you watch LSU play, their defense is awful. Yes. But their offense is good enough to win games. And, you know, when you're you're playing, I, it's going to be interesting that if all of a sudden LSU is is not out of it, I think they could still sneak in and they could find a way to beat Alabama. They did last year. They could find a way to do it again. You've coached a lot of great quarterbacks. Who's your Heisman favorite right now? And is it do you think this could be a, a Devontae Smith type season for a skill position player, given the fact that we'll have a handful of quarterbacks that could receive some votes? Yeah, I, I just think there's too many good quarterbacks right now. I mean, right now I would go with Michael Penix out of Washington. Uh, he's just been special. I think he has special receivers around him. 
Uh, he's going to have Heisman moments coming up with huge games. Uh, you know, he plays the type of schedule uh, where he's going to have the ability to make things happen at big moments. Uh, and if, you know, you go past him, uh, Dylan Gabriel was really impressive last week. Uh, I thought, um, you know, in, in his moment with the game on the line, you know, I don't think he played his best game, but with the game on the line, he made the plays needed. Yeah. Statistically, he's going to continue to put up, put up numbers. Uh, you know, Drake May, and uh, it puts up huge numbers. And Jordan Travis has put up big numbers with with, with Florida State and winning. And so I, I think when you get into those quarterbacks, that's not even talking about Bo Nix, who has the opportunity to have special moments, and Caleb Williams, the defending winner. I just don't know if there's a position player out there yet that I've seen uh, that's really – worthy of of where that is could it be could it be brock bowers could brock bowers be that guy i don't i mean you know i mean i think he's an excellent player i I just don't see him as a heisman guy i just you know i mean he's he's their their best offensive weapon on a on a loaded team you know um i i just i i don't see that from him as as just that dominator of a player Dan Mullen, our guest. I think I do think he'll get. I think he'll get votes. I do. I think you know. I mean that. I saw the the you know Kyle Pitts was a tight end that actually played for me that finished tenth a couple years ago. So I think Brock Bowers in that category. Well, he'll be one of the top receiving tight ends vote getters ever. Um, But I just I don't I just think there's too great a quarterback play. Too many other great players out there. Coach, take take me through the mechanics of what happened. And it, it's, I don't know how you explain it, really, with Miami and Georgia Tech. Cristobal not taking a knee. How, even if that's the play call, how does no one in the headset, in the chatter, just say, what are we, what are we doing here, guys? Just take well, the knee, and we, they're out of timeouts. We can handle this. I think there's, there's, there's obviously some communication breakdown. There, there's someone who's in charge of clock management, right? And, uh, and, and I think you assign it depending on – your comfort level as a head coach, right? I mean, if you're if you're the primary play caller as a head coach, you might want somebody else in the clock part of it all just checking on those things. And it's happened before. Uh, it's happened before to him. Yeah, which is unbelievable. I know. But I mean, you're you're sitting in that situation. And and here, here's what happened is he goes in and in, in in I was always the clock person throughout okay. my career. All right. Uh you know, I just, it was something I always paid attention to and, and you would know, and it's simple and there's a lot of simple math involved, right? So you're looking and, and you're just sitting there and you're saying, okay, we took over with the possession. They have one timeout left, uh, by running plays, we can take a minute and 52 seconds off the clock or what, what you know, mm-hmm. and, and I've got my old chart out, uh, but you always, you go through and you review. Okay. If, if we take a knee, it's a, a minute 44 that you take it off the clock. Now what the chart I'd always keep and what you have is the clock on first down, second down, third down, because you don't know when they're going to take a timeout. You don't know when the timeout's going to expire. They might not take it. So now it's second down, even though they didn't take the timeout on first, you have one timeout, it's second down. There's a minute 10 left in the game. Okay, game's over. Uh, take an E. And in that scenario, I've, even as a head coach, you had a timeout. The mm. second that clock says 40 seconds, game's over. In reality, the second it says 42, it's over, you're taking a knee. Yep. If it's 44, you kind of run a play, but you run where the quarterback runs around in the back. But it's third down. 
That's not taking into account anywhere from six to eight seconds you could burn off on fourth down where you'd have a play where everyone kind of blocks going one way and you throw the ball as high as you can out of bounds. Um, those are scenarios that are pra- practiced every single week. And, and in that situation, we're wa- I'm watching live and it's just head scratching. And, um, you know, and, and the, with, with Mara, you just you have to know those scenarios and there's somebody I was, you know, and in, in, I was with urban Meyer a long time uh, as an assistant coach. That's why I, I guess I always knew it when I was with him forever. I was the clock person, you know, I was the mm-hmm. offensive coordinator a lot, but I, you know, I just had that cause I was calling the plays. And so, you know, I mean, it was, you always see the head coach throw the arms up in the air. That would be me. Yes. Saying to him victory formation, you know, and then he yeah. gets, he gets that's the what you play signal for. and throw the arms in the air, but it's over at that point. Yeah. Uh, I, I, you can't explain it. You know, I've been in the try. I've been in situations in rivalry games where you have the ball on the three yard line up, uh, up 10 points. And it's like, boy, let's, we really want to just go shove it down their throat right now. It's victory time. Take a knee. Go home, have a drink, celebrate. You know, what I mean? no doubt, man. Uh, I, I'm eager to see it, how they respond to this because the the bench, the the reactions on the sideline from the players too, they were dumbfounded uh, with that. Uh, Dan Mullen, our guest. I'm, I'm going to get uh, your take on uh, Anthony Richardson injured again. He's got the shoulder injury yesterday, uh, rolling out playing against the Titans. Um, how uh, uh, his former coach is is this just how he's built? He's, he's going to be this player every, practically every time you watch him play so far. Well, he's getting dinged in some way. Well, I, I think it goes, you know, I mean, a couple of years ago we had him. Um, every time I tried to start him, he, he would get hurt, you know, and it kind of hurt our season. And, you know, we started the year with him as the backup because he, he got hurt in the spring game. And, but it was always trying to roll him on the field. How do I get him onto the field? How do we, you know, build his confidence up? And then how do we get him into that starting role and start him? And I think every time we got to that point to make the move, he had a different injury. Now, granted, I, I think that happens sometimes to guys that, you know, you, you got, I mean, he he's not a Ford. You know, he's a Ferrari. Right, his skill set. <laughs> you want to use his skill set. You know, I mean, he is a Ferrari. And, and they're a little bit different. You know, they're, they, 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 they take a little bit different care. Now, the fact that, you know, there's not many people that are 6'4", 250 uh-huh. pounds that run 4'3", and can do, you know, physically, physically he's wired different than normal people. And just kind of like a Ferrari, those parts might break a little bit easier, you know, where, you know, I got I drive my Jeep Wrangler. You know I mean? It, I can go take that to Quickie Lube to get the oil change, but the, the Ferrari's got to go to the special shop for everything. Uh, but you know what? His last year in college, he stayed healthy the entire season. Mm. You know, and so I, I think, I, I think it's just something. I, I think it's something through his career too, as he continues to grow. He's still really young, uh, and learning his body. And you, you know, I mean, I, I think one of those things is to get to go s- to spend time as a veteran guy. You, you know, you go spend time with with the Tom Brady's of the world, or like a Ben Roethlisberger, or you know, these guys that it's a skill they, that. That, that played and say, okay, talk to me. I, I I don't have to go bench like everybody else. What am I doing to build body stability to get me through my career? 
and what I need to do. Because both plays were, it's not, I, I didn't see either play as like an overuse or he's just running the ball no. over people constantly. Um, so I think that's something that that he's going to have to grow with during his career uh, to learn how to do. And it was, um, you know, something that, that he did deal with in college as well. About a minute left here, Coach. Uh, knowing quarterbacks as well as you do, what do you see in Brock Purdy? And how surprised are you with what he's doing with the 49ers? Well, you know, watching the telecast last night, it was really interesting that uh, Chris Collins brought up something that to the most important trait of a of a quarterback to me, right? Um, really, I mean, the third to me, mental, physical toughness, one. Well, Brock Purdy has that. I, very few guys are, you're not getting the NFL with that. Leadership, he has that. You know, those are check, check. Number three is processing information. Yeah. It's not throwing. It's not running. It's not intelligence. It's processing information. How fast can you process information? And Brock Purdy can process. You know, they've talked about it. He processes things so quickly, right? I mean, any great quarterback, the hardest thing to test, you know, you go to a combine. Hey, you can run. You can jump. You can throw. You can make this throw. You can make that throw. I can work you out. Do these things. How fast does information go from your eyes go, and then from your eyes to your brain? Right. How fast that information eyes to brain, then brain to your arm, legs, whatever needs to get done. How fast can you process information? Well, great quarterbacks process information at an extremely high level. And Brock Purdy, I, you know, watching that, they brought that up in the telecast. I think that's something that their coaching staff realized to know. Uh, he has the medical, physical toughness. He has leadership. He, he has he has the talent with the arm talent. But there are a lot of people with arm talent. But he processes information. And, and then you throw on top of that, he's extremely intelligent yes. to run a complex offense. Coach. So, you know, when, when you, you, he has all of the four non-football, you know, non-skill set traits that make up great quarterbacks. Coach Dan Mullen has been our guest. Always great to catch up with you, Coach. Bobby Carpenter is next. Hey, I'm a dad, and I know what dads want for Father's Day. They want steak, world-class Omaha steaks. Look, dads deserve top-quality American beef, and that's what you'll get with Omaha steaks as their Father's Day gift. I gift Omaha steaks constantly to guests on my show, Urban Meyer, the football coach, Mike Krzyzewski, the basketball coach, Kevin Pritchard, general manager of the Indiana Pacers, just to name a few, have received the gift of steak, Omaha steaks from me. Order mouthwatering gift packages starting at just $99. And as a bonus, use promo code Dan to get $10 off your order. Give the gift that I give to guests on my show. Mouthwatering gift packages from Omaha steaks starting at just $99. And as a bonus, use promo code Dan to get $10 off your order. Sack up and get your dad something he'll love this Father's Day. Sixth and Peabody, our location for Hot Mile with Honey Withrow across the Outkick Network, Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. That's where you can find them. You can find Bobby Carpenter next to some beer quite often, I'm sure. B-Carp 3 joins us, college football discussion today. Uh, Bobby, good to see you, man. It's been a while. How are you? It has been a while. I mean, apparently you and Withrow can't work at the same time anymore. <laughs> so I just have to share back and forth. And I apologize, I mean, for not having the, the backdrop that I normally have. Yeah. I'm uh, here at NBC Suites down in Orlando getting ready to speak to the Touchdown Club about 
is some of the happenings and the going on of college football. A lot is happening. By the way, uh, Chad is uh, with the Withrow Men. There's a Withrow Men uh, retreat or a a trip that they do annually. How about that? That sounds pretty good. I mean, but I'm going to be honest, like, is is his family, are they not football fans? Like, do they? Oh, they, they, they departed after the football games were completed. Okay. All right. I mean, they do it right. I've always, I've always been of the belief, like during football season, once August 1st starts, maybe this is just due uh, to being in the game for so long. My dad being a coach and everything else, like August 1st to like January one, unless you're traveling for football or it's like a, a big, some type of decade milestone birthday or something like that. I mean, there's really no vacations that are going to be planned. During Definitely no weddings. Months. No weddings. No. If you're going to plan a wedding, if you're going to plan a <laughs> wedding during the fall, just be prepared that the friends of yours who are involved in the media or involved in football, like, hey, I'll send you a gift. I'll tell you congrats. But if you think I'm selfish for choosing this over you, well, you should have thought about that before you made it in the fall. Bobby Carpenter, our guest, Mahatma with Hunt and Withrow. Is Michigan deserving of being number one right now? It's a tough question because we still, just due to the asymmetry in college scheduling. Yeah. I think they're really good. But like I look at who they played, like, you know, I mean, Ohio State just played Maryland. I think Maryland's probably the fourth best team, maybe the Big Ten, maybe fifth, depending on how, you know, what Wisconsin potentially looks like. But I don't think Michigan's played anyone near as good as Maryland yet. And so, yeah, while they've been dominating, they look like a complete team. When J.J. McCarthy's humming, they've got a nice passing game. He can extend plays with his legs. Their receivers look confident. They've always been able to run the ball. Their defense is really good. Jim Harbaugh seems like you know he's backing on a tear. I mean, so I would put them in that short list. But right now, Hutton, I mean, after what I just watched happen with Texas, who I thought could be potentially the best team, like I was starting to get there with them, and then all of a sudden they lose to Oklahoma. It's like, okay, I'm not sure what the heck I knew. At the beginning of the season – I, mean, I thought LSU was in that mix. Yep. You know, I thought Texas was definitely in there. I thought Bama was in there. And now I'm looking, okay, Bama fell back, but they're getting better. LSU, well, they're kind of meandering around. You know, I mean, Georgia, I think, is still really good, but there's some still some inconsistencies with them. Like, when they want to play, they're a really darn good football team. But then also there's times where like, yeah, we got a really bad half here. But I think that that's kind of the case for really almost all of the teams in the top, you know, seven to ten. Everyone seems beatable. You know, and, and then like Texas, we we thought they were that team. They still can be. I think we're headed towards a rematch in the Big 12 championship game. But again, who knows? But what a win for Brent Venables at, at Oklahoma. Because I, I have not given the Sooners enough credit. I've been focused on the Longhorns based on their win against Bama. It looked, a, a look, you know, their win against Bama. Then we see Bama go down to, to South Florida and, and what happened there in an ugly game. But since then, Bama is, is finding a way. Uh, A&M's game plan of making Milrow beat them. I mean, that's what they did. And Milrow did just that despite the 14 penalties and everything else that the tide ends up. You know, they do that weekly, it seems. <laughs> I don't I don't know who to believe in right now. It's week to week. And this week, Oklahoma, they, you know, they have my attention. I mean, so you think a lot of the truths that we've held over the last like three to five years, maybe even longer than that with some of these coaches, I mean, one of the things is Bama, they don't beat themselves. Like, they're not going to commit bad turnovers. They're not going to have penalties. Like, they're not a team that might be flashy, but they're just going to be really consistent and wear you down. That is the furthest thing from the truth. We've always believed, you know, that the Pac-12 probably wasn't very good. And all of a sudden now you're like, well, I mean, you can make an argument that Oregon is maybe one of the best teams. You thought 
with Oklahoma, you're talking to them. I mean, there were conversations this offseason where it's like, well, if Venables doesn't turn this thing around quickly enough, think of how bad that it could potentially be, and they may have to move on from him. So there were some massive issues across college football. The last five years, Ohio State's had a great offense. Well, offense looks so-so right now, but the defense is really what's winning the day. So it's not only just the fact that the teams have been tossed around. It's the fact that how these teams look is so foreign to us. Ohio State's win over Notre Dame. What's your perspective of that victory now compared to two weeks ago? It hasn't changed a ton. I mean, Sam Hartman, obviously, you know, he threw three interceptions. He's never really played Louisville all that well, even going back to his time at Wake. I want to see how Notre Dame plays against USC. Because if you look at it, I mean, they had, what, four or five straight night games. They're playing ranked opponents every yep. week. I mean, it was a murder's row. And you, I watched that Duke game. I'm thinking, man, there's one team here that looks like they are like emotionally ready to go. And I'm looking at another team that looks like they've been drugged through it for the past three or four weeks. And so hopefully this is maybe a recalibration. You know, you'll be able to have USC coming to South Bend. And I think Notre Dame, if they pull off that Ohio State game plan, because USC isn't stopping you at all. And you say, hey, we're going to give you eight possessions. We'll see if you can score a touchdown on four of them. And I think we can score a touchdown on five. And that's how we're going to beat you. Yeah, and I think LSU, you could approach them the same way, right? That, that, that's the... That's my hesitant approach with both of those programs. I, I love their offenses. They're fun to watch, but they're just not championship caliber. They could be. They're not to me based on their defense. That's what's going. Look at the, and, and I realize Ohio State and Georgia put on a show in the college football playoff a year ago, but the defenses, when it mattered, made some big, big plays along the way. And I don't think USC or LSU's defenses can do that. Well, at least to this point, they've proven that they can't. Like you don't, the days of needing like a top five defense to win a national championship, I think, are done. But you still have to have, like to your point, a defense that can get timely stops. One stop. Like you just can't. Yeah, you've got to find a way to get them in. A, when you get a team in a second and seventeen, or a third and fourteen, you have to find a way to ultimately get off the field. And talking about things that we knew, I never thought I would see a day where LSU is this prolific on offense and their defense is this bad. They've always been the team that offensively maybe struggles with great playmakers and maybe doesn't have a quarterback or scheme. And the defense is the one that wins the day. And their defense cannot stop anyone right now. And it's that's as befuddling as anything. When you saw Mario Cristobal um, screw this clock up again, this has happened before in the game against Stanford uh, when he was at Oregon. Um when you saw that, and I, I'm also paying attention to the reaction on the bench from Miami players. What are you thinking? And what do you think they're believing as they move forward now after that malpractice from the head coach again? I mean, it, it, it doesn't really make sense when you look at it. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know how you can get there. And I guess this is just being you know, a product of you know, being with Bill Parcells and Bill Belichick. And like, it's all situational football. And, I mean, we're going back to high school football. I'd sit there and I'd I mean, talk to my dad. Yeah. I was his like game manager. Like, hey, there's 220 on the clock. They don't have any timeouts. Like, let's start planning about how to make sure we bleed this thing down, how much time they can get back with. I mean, all you've got to do is take in, and I get really upset with coaches. It drives me nuts because people always want to do it before the half and sometimes before the end of game if it's a tie game and especially low scoring where they're like, hey, you know, there's 30 seconds left. I'm like, guys, just knee it out. They're like, no, no, let's run it and see what happens. I go, okay, best case scenario, 
you pop a 70 yarder for a touchdown. Odds of that are like fractional percentage, mostly nothing. There's probably a four or 5% chance that you fumbled the ball or something bad happens, which is what we saw in Mario Cristobal. And so granted, it shouldn't have fumbled. It shouldn't have given up, you know, two plays of whatever the That's heck, right. 70 yeah. some Make yards. one tackle. But, but it shouldn't have gotten to that point because simply due to math, we're talking not football. We're talking about math now and being able to read a clock and understand what's going on. It's a great point about the even in high school. I mean, every fan knows what the victory formation sign is. You may not know, you know, the terminology for uh, if you're changing a play at the line of scrimmage for left or right. You know, if you hear that cadence, but you know the victory formation. Everyone. It's just like dumbfounded at, at what has happened, and not once, but twice now uh, with with Cristobal. I'm, hey, uh, Bobby Carpenter with us. Follow him on social at bcarp3. You can catch him on SiriusXM Channel 84. Uh, great college football analyst. Mel, Mel Tucker and Pat Fitzgerald do both have convincing arguments for wrongful termination based on what we've seen over the last week, week and a half. Well, I think they're very different situations, and they'll probably get into this tonight with the touchdown club here. Okay. Um, I think one school didn't want to fire their coach, and I think one school was looking for every reason to fire their coach. And if you go back and look at Pat Fitzgerald, they're like, hey, here's the information. This is what happened. We agree on this two-week suspension in the middle of the summer. I mean, whatever that means, you know, we'll deal with it internally, essentially. And then the other coach was like, hey, we paid this guy a ton of money. I don't think he's going to be worth it. He's doing some things that are maybe on the fringe and without getting too deep into some things up there, like what's going on. I think they, they were pursuing this. And I know Clay has been, you know, advocate that this, this is kind of a hit piece and you know what it may be, but I'll also tell you this. If you, someone owes you a lot of money and the only way they can get it from you is by you putting yourself in bad situations off of, the field or outside of your job responsibility, don't give people any ammunition. And I think that's what Mel did in this situation. Yeah, especially with the contract language, man. Like, I, you know, the they just reading through, it engages in any conduct which constitutes moral turpitude or in the university's sole judgment would tend to bring public disrespect, contempt, or ridicule upon the university. I mean, that language alone, I mean, you can come up with any reason you want to uh, to get rid of him and, and go into that clause. I mean, it's very, very vague and broad. Well, and when you have a couple of guys, at least to my knowledge of the situation, you know, their own NBA franchises to have footed a lot of this bill. And it's like, hey, uh, we need to bring in a new coach. We don't want to pay this guy and pay the next guy. And there's some things going on. We're going to try to pursue this and figure it out. And I think that that's ultimately what it's been happening. You talk about the cause of the sole discretion of the university. I mean, you can fight that in court if you haven't done anything. But I I think there's some other stuff up there that, you know, Michigan State feels pretty confident in that, you know what? Maybe we'll settle out of court, but you're not getting the full 80. You might get a little piece of it. Yeah, I mean, I've seen and, and reading from the attorney's end on uh, Tucker's side, though, man, it's, again, I, I just shake my head and think, man, there will be lawyers, and you better believe he's fighting over the 80 million. Maybe not 80 grand, oh. but 80 million, getting after it. Well, here's the reality. Those are the guys that they're the winners in this whole thing. You know, the, the attorneys are the ones that are going to probably make the most out of this. <laughs> This whole deal. I mean, Mel will get it. He will get a chunk, and they'll probably be willing to settle. But they're definitely not selling for eighty. They'll find somewhere in the middle, probably a lot closer to zero than eighty. Hey, tell me about this quarterback club. What what is uh, what does all this entail? What do you have on store tonight? 
Uh, you know, like you know, there's been a bunch of guys from the SEC that have come down. They've obviously there's a bunch of Buckeyes that reside in Orlando, and they've been wanting me to do it here for a couple of years, and it worked out. Uh, so heading over there uh, tonight, talk about college football, all the things we're hitting on here, transfer portal, everything else. It's like give me a list of questions. Like I could talk for an hour about what I want to talk about, but why don't you guys tell me what you want to talk about, and then I'll build some things around it. Hey, one minute left here. How many questions do you think you'll get about Penn State? And are we sleeping on the Nittany Lions playing a massive factor in all of this? I think we'll get a, I'll get a couple. And I think Penn State obviously is a very good team. But there's also some canary in the coal mine a little bit. They've got a lot of offensive numbers. But heading into last week, they were only 10th in yards per play in the Big Ten. So you're getting put in good situations by your defense. You've been able to score. I don't think they played the toughest schedule yet but they haven't really been as explosive as maybe what people think. Yeah, but they've got a young quarterback that's been on the road, though, in conference, won games. I mean, I, I'm i intrigued to see if James Franklin can pull this off, unlike some past years where you just know they're the third best. <laughs> they, they have a chance to climb the ladder this year. I, I They'll get their shot. And if nothing else, they get a chance to mess some things up for Ohio State or Michigan. We'll see. Uh, Bobby, always great to see you, man. Have a great time in Florida, and uh, we'll catch up soon. Thanks, Hunter. I appreciate it. Hey, man. Bobby Carpenter. The best at bcarp3 on uh, social. Find him there and uh, again, SiriusXM channel 84. Coming up, Dan Dockich. We're going to hit the headlines across football, across the sports weekend. Host of Don't At Me right here across the Outkick Network. Dockich is next. Anthony Richardson is hurt. Jonathan Taylor gets a contract and we've got plenty more discussion. Sean Payton and honesty versus reality. That came fast for him this weekend.